can, you know, through Aboriginal ways, just reach out to some of our mob. Working with the wider non-Aboriginal community and working with our own community together allows us to start eating. In the past, you know, people know who they are and that type of thing, but there hasn't been something there to bring everything together, to bring people together, and Native Title has done that. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which this episode was recorded, the Ghana people of the Adelaide Plains, and I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Brian Butler has devoted his life to healing the harm caused by the removal of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children from their families. And most recently, Brian has teamed up with John Bond, for a new book called Sorry and Beyond. The book tells the true history of the stolen generations, exposing the Australian government's policies which aimed to destroy the identity of Indigenous children by taking away their language, culture and connection to country. My name is Caleb Sweeting and you're listening to Aboriginal Way. Brian Butler was a former ATSIC commissioner and chaired the Secretariat of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Childcare for 15 years, while John Bond was a secretary of the National Sorry Day Committee. I spoke to Brian Butler about why it was important to write Sorry and Beyond. This episode may be triggering for Indigenous people listening, as Brian talks about his mother and grandmother's horrific experiences being removed from their family. It's part of what drove him to stand up for the rights of Aboriginal children from an early age and now into his 80s. This is part one of my interview with Brian Butler, co-author of Sorry and Beyond. So, first of all, could you please introduce yourself to Aboriginal Way? Uh, my name's Brian Butler. Uh, I'm from the East Aranda uh, uh, group uh, from... Altanga, east of Alice Springs. Yeah, and this new book that you've worked on, how did you um, first get to work with uh, John Bond on this? John Bond uh, has been a tireless worker for Aboriginal uh, people in Canberra where he lived for many years when we were developing uh, the... uh, uh, snake uh, organization uh, uh, bringing them home uh, organization and um, uh, also worked tirelessly for stolen generations and, uh, and that goes our, our association goes back some 25 to 30 years and so, so uh, it was uh, uh, just so important to uh, have uh, uh, John write the book while I gave him all the information and the stories about the uh, um, Stalin generation as I uh, lived with it over the many, many years. And so I was uh, absolutely uh, uh, thrilled with the fact that he was prepared even when he went back to... uh, uh, to the UK, uh, over in uh, Oxford uh, University, where he is, uh, for him to uh, and his wife to uh, 
put this story together over the last three years. Uh, and we also had um, many, many people that were associated with the Stolen Generation, so, uh, associated with the uh, uh, Aboriginal Child Care Agencies and the uh, Secretariat for the National Aboriginal and Islander Child Care, which is uh, commonly known as SNAKE. So we, uh, we all worked uh, together all these years for the interest of... Uh, uh, of the stolen generations, and we're still doing it. I imagine there would have been a lot of stuff that you'd kind of compiled together for John to write the book. What was that process like for you to um, know what to put in there and, you know, the hard decisions of what to leave out? Uh, well, it, I, I didn't find it all that difficult to uh, uh, find... Uh, uh, the stories uh, and uh, legi- legitimise the, uh, the the stories with uh, support of many many people that worked with us, uh, and um, and the stolen generations people themselves. I mean, with their stories, uh, the um, uh, link up we had the many many link up link ups we had with people all around the country uh, and uh, from Darwin down to Adelaide across to uh, Sydney and uh, the East Coast and uh, right down to Perth, down the West. We were on the move pretty well uh, all the time. I don't think there was a uh, uh, time that we were able to relax uh, on trying to bring justice for the stolen generations people and also the uh, uh, attempts that we made uh, for uh, compensation for those uh, stolen generations people which for uh, which we're still uh, fighting for because many many uh, stolen generations people uh, have got nothing uh, uh, for the fact that they were removed uh, separated from their mothers and their families and community, uh, we're um, still fighting for those uh, people to be recognised and get justice. I understand too that your mother and grandmother were part of the stolen generation. Um, what's that look like for you and your family? The healing process, you know. Do you want to talk a bit more about that? Well, my nana and uh, my mother and my auntie, Auntie Mavis, uh, and were taken away from Altanga uh, many, many years in the 1920s. Uh, and, and they were uh, forcibly removed and to be accommodated at... Uh, uh, Jay Creek, where the first uh, uh, of the people were uh, uh, were were kept in, well, I always said in detention. Then they moved uh, into Alice Springs uh, briefly, and uh, before they uh, actually eventually moved out to the old bungalow, uh, the old uh, bungalow setting in the. Uh, north of Alice Springs and Hills there. But uh, my nana, uh, before uh, they took her away, 
she was only about 12 years old, 13 years of age, when the uh, uh, police um, uh, troopers on horseback used to take her around to the stations and uh, find all the camps where Aboriginal people were had uh, children that were uh, uh, fathered by uh, by stockmen, uh, the pastoralists, and other uh, white uh, workers that came through that uh, the area. And um, when they found those children, they uh, handed them over to police, and, um, and they took them into Alice Springs Hospital, where they were uh, where they were. Uh, deemed to be uh, uh, sent away to Adelaide, Brisbane or uh, Perth, wherever that was convenient for the uh, uh, department to send them, uh, saying that the Alice, that those children were ill and that the Alice Springs Hospital didn't have the wherewithal to treat those kids and the, the uh, uh, Ill, illnesses that they said that they had. But we later found that those children didn't have any sickness at all. They were That was just a, a ploy to have them sent away and the parents were told down the track that some of those children had died when they tried to seek out to where they'd been taken to. But they were taken to, to those major city uh, cities and uh, uh, fostered a way to... Uh, non-Aboriginal people. In some cases, they were uh, adopted directly to those people. But anyway, while she was uh, a uh, 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 out with the um, mounted police, they also used her as uh, their sex slave. And when my nana, Nana Liza, had a, uh, became pregnant and the baby was born, out east of uh, Alice, northeast of uh, Altanga, at a place called Wipeout. Uh, the ba- when the baby was born, she was forced to smother the baby and bury the baby in in the creek, because the the police didn't want to have uh, it known that they they were that they had fathered a child with my nana. So anyway, uh, that that traumatic experience for my nana uh, was with her for all of her life and she in her 90s when she died in, in her 90s the last words she said was wipe out and that was where the baby st- you know the, uh, remained and uh, so she was um, she had that grief and all the, uh, the family uh, bore that grief as well because although my nana didn't speak about what happened uh, in the early days, uh, we all felt that there was something really, really serious that uh, uh, that caused our nana to be um, uh, so deeply stressed all of her life. And apart from that, when she was on the horseback with the police uh, uh, officers, uh, that, uh, the troopers, she became blind because she got sandy blight because of the dust uh, from riding the horses around uh, all from station to station and camp to camp. And when she 
started to complain of losing her sight. They didn't take her into the hospital to get her fixed up, and she went totally blind. So my nana was totally blind most of her life from that early, early, early teenage uh, area, uh, time. Yeah. So uh, that, that was that was the the most most. Uh, uh, the thing that drove me most to try and get uh, justice uh, and some uh, for, the, for for what happened to my nana and justice for my mother who was taken away to Darwin placed up at Baggett Reserve uh, in uh, Darwin where I, where I was born in ba- at Baggett Reserve and my uh, mum's sister Rani Mavis she was sent all the way down here to Balaclava. So one one sister was one end of the country, and, and my mum at the other end of the country. So uh, that that in itself was uh, really uh, cruel. And my nana didn't see my um, mother and my auntie for a long time uh, after they'd been taken away from from Alice Springs. But the thing was that. Um, um, they they did eventually come back to Alice Springs. Uh, my mum and myself, luckily enough, uh, were re- reunited with uh, Nana and the, uh, Alice Springs uh, extended family when the Japanese bo- started bombing Darwin. And, and that we had to uh, be evacuated out of Darwin. And so, so that it's the only thing I've got to ch- to thank the Japanese for, I guess, that they they. Uh, bombed Darwin and, and we were able to go home. Unfortunately for the Darwin people, that wasn't a good thing. Anyway, um, it, 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 they're the things that drive, drove me to um, work uh, on, in, in an area that, was, uh, that I, I wanted to work in t- terms of... Uh, advocating for uh, our people when I saw the wrong thing was happening. And when I became uh, old enough and and my father sent away again, separated me and my mother and Nana by sending me to Adelaide with uh, uh, on the... uh, uh, with, with saying that that was they wanted me to, uh, they wanted me to be educated to get a better education down in Adelaide than Alice Springs, but that wasn't that that wasn't the way it worked out, because when I was separated from my mother and my nana and all the rest of the the, the uh, uh, Irina people and the extended family, I grieved every day. I was away and I never learned a thing. Didn't school? I used to always be playing up and getting into trouble because I, I just wouldn't learn. I just I, I just grieved and grieved, and that's what happens to our, uh, children when they're separated from the mothers and separated from family and the community. They don't. They, they just find it very hard to uh, achieve their full potential because they're grieving all the time, and. Uh, uh, and by, by what happened to me, I then was able to understand what happened to all of the other kids that were taken away and separated. 
So I worked for, uh, advocated for kids advocate that it were taken away. And that's uh, from that time, uh, uh, my aunties and uh, other other people, other mothers in Alice Springs were really uh, uh, crying because they, they didn't know where their children were. They, they were told that the children had died and the children, when they got uh, old enough to ask questions, they were told that their mother had died. And that was all... Uh, all terrible lies for uh, by the department the, and the government and the, the, therefore um, people would like the grieving I talk about was was um, you know was turned into uh, uh, perpetual grief because uh, grief uh, a grieving grieving person cannot uh, cannot live a happy life and uh, they, they were, I always refer to it, I, I think I wrote a book for legal rights at one time, I called it uh, Perpetual Grief. And uh, anyway, I, I, I was de- determined, along with a lot of other people, and joined up with a lot of other people, particularly the women around Australia, Mumshells in Sydney, Molly Dyer in Melbourne, there were lots of other people up in, the, in Queensland that were, were working hard, people in Western Australia and up in Darwin. The women really f- uh, forced the issue uh, 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 and to take up the, the fight against the government for the f- forced removal of children. The, the, the blokes were there behind the women, I guess, but it was mainly the women. And I, I, I then made up my mind that I was going to put all my uh, my energy and work towards that. So one day I, uh, I had the opportunity of going away on a, a passion ship. I put my age up from 14 to 16 and I got away as a deck boy on a passion ship. I went from Adelaide, Fremantle, Fremantle back to Adelaide, Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, Townsville uh, and Cairns. And each Sunday I would go to the churches around the place if, we were, if the ship was in port on a weekend. So I'd go to the church, churches and hang around and I'd see little black kids with uh, uh, white people uh, who were, would brag about the fact that they were looking after a little black kid. Because I didn't really look uh, to them, a, the, an Aboriginal. I, I was. They they didn't know, didn't know that I was Aboriginal. I, I didn't let on, uh, but I started as soon as I saw a little black kid with a uh, with a white person at a church. I'd start, start talking to the little one, and the uh, uh, the the, the um, foster mother or, or parent or the adoptive parent. Were, didn't suspect me of being a prying person trying to find out where the little one came from and how long they had they had the child and most times the the foster parents were, with their bragging style would tell me a lot of information and I'd finally find out where those little ones come from and then I was able to go back to Alice Springs and talk to when I went around that countryside but whichever state I was in 
I'll be able to say, look, I've found kids that, that come from this area and so they're okay. They're, they haven't been, you know, uh, deceased like you might have been told. So that gave people hope then to fight further to try and get those kids back for, into them. And so um, that, as I said, uh, I had to be sneaky to get information. One, and, and once I... Uh, uh, I got familiar with people in Queensland I, I, uh, uh, in New South Wales, wherever I went. The, the families became familiar to me. Uh, the looks of the, the, the children were, you know, had their particularly, uh, particular uh, um, features. And uh, after a couple of years, I was able to... Um, Tell whether tell you whether a child came from Queensland, Western Australia, or Alice Springs, be, 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 even by the way they talked. Yeah. So um, then, with Molly Dyer uh, from Victoria, uh, she was the, the uh, mother of uh, uh, Aboriginal Child Care Agency in, in Victoria, and she was. Uh, funded by a federal government at that particular time it was the Liberal government and a, 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 and a federal minister called Margaret Guilfoyle funded Molly to go over to Washington, Washington State in America and she met up with a, um, an Indian lady there called Maxine Robbins who was responsible for... Uh, bringing about the, the American Child Welfare Act uh, for the protection of Indian children in America. And so with uh, the information that she got, uh, get, uh, Molly got from Maxine, she came back uh, armed with a lot of information and we then s uh, started to influence the other states to develop child care agencies all around the place in every every state, and from that, one once they got, uh, uh, once they developed those uh, agencies, we developed uh, we we got them all together in Melbourne, and we formed the, the Secretariat of National Aboriginal Childcare Agency, and that organisation was commonly known as Snake, and from that time right through till. Today, as I speak now, Snake is still one of the strongest Aboriginal organisations in this country, uh, and w working uh, very effectively because of the fact that we all believed and we all had faith and hope that one day we could we could um, uh, have a government uh, in this country that would be able to provide uh, the uh, resources that we needed to be able to uh, bring about some uh, satisfaction within the Aboriginal nation that, uh, that we were finally going to be able to have uh, a situation whereby our kids would have some sort of faith that uh, they would get support in the schools. But unfortunately... Uh, today, uh, I work with the uh, Commissioner for Children going around the schools, mm -hmm. talking to uh, children 
and uh, finding out uh, how they're coping and that they're not coping at all right around this whole country. There's uh, the education department um, has got a lot to um, answer for because when you, you when we go around to the schools, we find our ch the children are telling us that there's more racism within the education department that uh, that um, that people hear about uh, on the radio and TV. They say we don't get a chance. The children say they don't get a chance to talk to somebody uh, to, about the sort of racism that holds them up from learning. And in some of the schools, you know, the the, uh, the Aboriginal children don't have uh, cultural uh, learning. They don't have history of, uh, of Australia taught in those schools. And so they... Uh, not even the Aboriginal children, our Aboriginal children, uh, are taught the things in school uh, uh, in a truthful way, and so they they uh, they become uh, uh, just um, um, children that, that are in despair, if you like, because they can't see even when they get into the secondary schools, and uh, they can't see uh, them. Cells uh, get, getting so educated and achieving their uh, year twelve that um, they they can't see where they are going to get a job in the future. So, obviously, a lot to unpack that you've talked about. But thank you for going through all that, especially about your family history too. Um, I'm interested to know when you were growing up and you found out about maybe not the details of what happened to your grandmother. But um, you know, you knew something was a bit off. Um, was there was there an age when you knew that you were going to dedicate your time and your life to helping kids, Aboriginal kids that really need someone there to back them up? And yeah, well, yes, there was. I mean, that happened to me pretty early in the, in life. Uh, when we uh, uh, when there were seven of us boys sent down from Alice Springs by. Father, uh, brought down and sent away from our mothers uh, <coughs> under the guise that we were, that we were going to, uh, uh, you know, be better educated. But the thing was that, w that we were not just sent away from our Aboriginal mothers by our white fathers uh, for education purposes. My father used to flog the hell out of my, me and my brothers and sisters if we walked out uh, in the sun in Alice Springs with no shirt on because he's floggers and uh, uh, hunters inside the house saying that we were black enough as it is and we didn't want to get any blacker. But my father and a lot of other white fathers have uh, married up with Aboriginal women were very racist. My father was one of the biggest racists going. He was a, he was a very cruel man and that was... A, the case, as we learned over the years, that were happening, it was happening to a lot of uh, Aboriginal women that were married to non-Aboriginal men. That was part one of our interview with Brian Butler, co-author of Sorry and Beyond, Healing the Stolen Generations. Hear part two in our next episode of Aboriginal Way out next week. Thanks for listening again. My name is Caleb Sweeting and I'll catch you next time.